Today on Blue 58, the Packers need help on the offensive line. That much is certain, but there are many paths that they can take to get that help. And Ted Thompson gave us a roadmap to help them get there. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. The idea for this episode originally was going to be a look at offensive line and safeties, but uh, we had a bit of an unusual situation at the house today, which uh, resulted in me not having as much prep time as I thought I was going to. So we're just going to look at offensive line, but we got some good questions about the offensive line um, from our Discord server. And uh, this is another opportunity to give a shout out there. If you have not checked that out, all you need to do is uh, become a Patreon supporter. Uh, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Any dollar amount there gets you in the door and uh, lets you take part in the conversation with uh, Packers fans from all over the world. Hope to see you there. But offensive line in general is uh, is a position we really have got to talk about to some extent. problem with offensive line is that it is the hardest position by far to look at as an outsider. It just is. Other positions... Bigger, stronger, faster is almost always better. But on the offensive line, bigger, well, sometimes good, but not always. For every six foot eight Jonathan Ogden, there are a bunch of other guys like Gabe Karimi, there's a name that comes to mind, who are just really tall guys that aren't that good on the offensive line. Stronger, yes, always good too, but being strong doesn't necessarily mean you're good either. Faster, well, that is also tricky as well. Sure, you want to be fast in a way uh, as an offensive lineman, but it's a specific kind of fast there too. It's also really hard to put numbers to guys. I really think that I trust Pro Football Focus's college grading, but I also want to do more in podcasts like this and say, than say, all right, here are Pro Football Focus's top eight offensive tackles for the 2021 offense or, or 20 NFL draft. And there you go. That's who they say is good. And uh, it's going to be a 45 second podcast, just as long as it takes me to read off the names. So I think I want to approach offensive line this year, a little bit more like we approached quarterbacks a little bit more generally. And then if there are specific guys that people want to talk about in the next week or so, let me know. I do have a few specific names that I want to throw out there, but I don't have like in-depth breakdowns on every single one of the prospects. It is true, though, that the Packers need help on the offensive line. Although I would never bet against him, I think the most likely scenario is that David Bakhtiari is going to start the season on the physically unable to perform list. You need at least one tackle here. Or you need to decide what you're going to do at tackle. You're going to bump Alton Jenkins out there? Well, somebody's got to play guard. And somebody's got to play center here sooner or later. So let's talk about the offensive line and how we're going to approach it. How do we find good prospects on the offensive line? Patrick leads us off with a good question here. He says, are teams looking for different traits or skills in their offensive line prospect? Or is there a generally accepted ideal across most teams that players or prospects are graded against? It seems like a major position group that gets uh, left out of the fit conversation, wondering if that's a valid reason. I think the answer here is both. There are teams that are looking for specific skills, specific fits, 
but there are also just some general guidelines that you're looking for um, in linemen. So some teams that are looking for fits are looking for specific kinds of skill sets that you can find in an offensive lineman. For instance, teams like the Packers are looking for guys who would be comfortable in a zone-blocking scheme, looking for a lot more lateral quickness. You're looking for guys that might be a little bit smaller but have a higher level of athleticism, stuff like that. David Bakhtiari is a pretty good example here. While he is big for a human being, as far as left tackles in the NFL go, he's not just enormous, maybe a little bit shorter than some, uh, maybe not quite as albatross-type arms. I mean, his wingspan is um, somewhat less than um, some of the super high-end offensive linemen. He's he's considerably smaller than Yash Nyman, their enormous undrafted free agent left tackle. But what he can do really well is move in space. When he is isolated one-on-one against an edge rusher, he can move backwards and side to side just as quickly as that guy can move forward. He has great lateral quickness. He utilizes it well in the in the passing game, in the running game. He's great blocking on screen plays. He fits really well what the Packers like to do. Plus, he's a brilliant technician on top of all that, but that's an entirely different skill set. Some teams are looking for more man blockers, bigger, more power-oriented run blocker types. I actually think Simon Stepanak, uh, the Packers' uh, late-round pick last year, is actually a pretty good example of that. A little bit bigger uh, on the bigger side for a guard, more of a straight-ahead power blocker, but uh, apparently they see in him a good fit for his own blocking scheme too. Usually it's a mix, though. So as you're looking for a mix between uh, those styles, you are looking for a few lineman-specific skills. Good feet are crucial. That's where that lateral quickness comes in. It's one thing to run straight, Uh, But linemen have to make a lot of side-to-side quick adjustments in space, and they also have to have the agility to make sure that they're not tripping over the guys that are next to them because a lot of times you're moving in concert with other players at your position. Uh, You're doing things together in tandem, and being agile, quick, is a a great way to to do that really well. Feet also help with balance. Um, it's, It's a key skill set for an offensive line, particularly in pass protection, to be balanced. Uh, making sure you, you can balance your weight, your center of gravity. As soon as you start getting off balance, then things are pretty much over for you. Uh, quick feet also help with getting deep drops in your pass sets. You want to make opposing pass rushers take the longest possible route that they can to get to your quarterback. And by going deep in your pass drops, that will help them do that. It's going to take them a lot longer if they have to run all the way around you four or five yards downfield than if they can just quickly get around you on the edge or uh, set you up like they make you think that they're going the long way around you and then quickly ducking back inside. Uh, Agility, quick feet, lateral quickness all helps with that. Length is another key specific attribute that guys are looking for. And this is just being, this is different than being tall. Length Uh, allows you to get your hands on people quicker. And I don't think arm length is everything, but I do think it's something that's better to have than to not have. Ideally, guys are going to have long arms, just be long-limbed in general, long arms and legs, because it's easier to get to opposing pass rushers if you have length. You can counter their moves, counter their hand movements better if you have long arms with which to fight them off. Finally, 
core strength. And this is not something that's really measured in any significant way in, in any drill that I can think of. But this is a specific kind of strength, and you can see it play out in guys' balance. Watch David Bakhtiari and observe how rarely he gets knocked out of alignment. He rarely gets twisted, rarely gets pushed one way or, an- or another. He's always staying kind of within himself. You always see his numbers straight up and down. He's not getting his shoulders twisted. Uh, rarely has one foot off the ground uh, at a time. Um, he he just does a great job of staying balanced, and a big part of that is is his core strength. So to answer Patrick's question kind of all at once here, teams are looking for specific skills or traits like good feet, length, core strength, things like that. They're looking for specific skills like uh, being comfortable in a zone-blocking environment, but that's not everything. Uh, they think that if you have those traits, they can probably fit you into whatever system that they would like to run. Carl asks, I think it must have been some other Packers blogger who said Green Bay seemed to have a sort of size guide for their offensive line, like tackles being 6'4 and 315 to 330 pounds, guards 6'2 to 6'4, center 6'3, just as an example. Similar with age, I think I heard them liking quite younger players, especially in the early rounds, and I'm guessing there is a relative athletic score threshold. Are there any specific pro day or combine drills that the scouts would like to see the prospects perform well at? So maybe we can use some numbers that could tell us part of the story. These thresholds do exist, but I'm not sure how much the thresholds matter in terms of size anymore. That's because of a few things that we know about the Packers in general. First, we know that Brian Gutekunst values athleticism pretty much above anything else. And relative athletic score is a good measure of that. For offensive linemen, it seems to be seven or above, though the higher you get, the better. Incidentally, and I have know I mentioned him once already, and we've talked about this in the past, just going by relative athletic score, Yash Nyman is probably the single most athletic person on the Green Bay Packers right now. Given his testing numbers, given his size, 6'8", you know, 315, 320 pounds, there are few players who can match his overall level of athleticism. It's pretty impressive. Um, we're still waiting to see if he's good as a player. Uh, the evidence at this point seems to point towards probably not, uh, but you can see why they keep giving him chances. But Brian Gutekunst values athleticism pretty much above everything else. Secondly, we know that Matt LaFleur and, to a lesser extent, his offensive line stat, so staff, so Adam Stenovich, uh, will play almost any position player they have at almost any position that you can play on the offensive line. Billy Turner has played right tackle and left guard, or left tackle and right guard just all last season. Uh, Elton Jenkins plays everywhere. Rick Wagner even played both right and left tackle. Uh, the more versatility you have, the better. We also know that, in general, Brian Gutekunst and Ted Thompson before him like tackles a lot. They like to take college tackles and make them either into NFL tackles or NFL guards. So, as far as athletic or as thresholds go in general, I'm not sure how much they matter on a player-by-player basis. They are just generally, I think, looking for athleticism within a certain groups of guy, group of guys. Then there are outliers, too. Um, they do like athleticism. They do like raw testing numbers. But then they'll take a guy like Simon Stepanak, who is big for a guard, uh, either in his own blocking or a man blocking scheme, and didn't have any testing numbers at all other than bench because he had a knee injury last year. 
or in, in 2019. So they'll go against type two. But there are things that we know about athleticism in general and um, some other specific, uh, position-specific drills uh, that can kind of point us in the right direction. Relative athletic score in general, like we've said, is a, is a good one. Uh, the higher, the better, probably above seven or so. But agility numbers are also key. Uh, Justice Mosqueda, writing for Cheesehead TV a couple years ago, did a, a, a deep dive on the sort of um, sort of minimums the Packers seem to want for uh, a few key areas on the offensive line. And he identified having a 1.8-second 10-yard split in the 40-yard dash, a 7.2nd three-cone drill, and a 4.75-second short shuttle. Three-cone drill and short shuttle are just both uh, agility drills. Uh, Look them up on YouTube. You can see how they work, and and it's pretty intuitive how they would factor into football. The 10-yard split in the 40-yard dash just shows how quickly you are getting off the line. And I think of those three, it's probably the least important, but it's just one man's opinion. Looking at those, we do have a bit of a crew that we can take a look at here as far as offensive linemen the Packers may be, might be interested in looking at in the NFL draft. I'm not going to dive deep on any of these guys, but uh, since we know the Packers like athletic guys, since we know that they tend to target those specific um, metrics in the offensive, uh, in, in the testing numbers, where can we look? Well, here are some tackles that meet those numbers. Brendan James out of Nebraska, Darius Harper out of Cincinnati, Dylan Raddens out of North Dakota State, Robert Hainsey out of Notre Dame, Stone Forsyth, great name, out of Florida, Walker Little out of Stanford, Cole Van Lannen out of Wisconsin, and Foster Serrell out of Stanford. There are others, uh, but those are the guys that meet all of the thresholds there. And just, you know, off the top of my my head, Leon Eichenberg, I think it is, out of Notre Dame, is also right up there, though he had some numbers that were a little bit off uh, in a couple of those areas. But that's a pretty good group of guys. They all meet the relative athletic score thresholds that that we talk about. Um, they are all in that ballpark as far as running the, the, th- the three cone in 7.7 seconds or less and the short shuttle in 4.75 seconds or less. It wouldn't be surprising to see the Packers take somebody from this group. Um, and that's not to say somebody else couldn't come off the board. Uh, that that fits those metrics or fits some of those metrics. But just as by way of example, those are some of the guys that, that fall into uh, fall into that the pot, for, for lack of a better term. Those are the guys that, uh, that meet the numbers. It should also be noted um, that a few other guys at other positions meet those thresholds as well. Quinn Minert's out of... Uh, UW-Whitewater is one whom the Packers have spoken to a lot, but I have some significant questions about the Packers taking a a dedicated guard in the draft, particularly high in the draft. It's not something they've really done, and I'd be interested to see if they continue to, uh, if they try to break that tendency. Creed Humphrey and Harry Kreider, both centers out of Oklahoma and Indiana respectively, also meet those thresholds. And we should take a second here to talk about center. Reise Pei Bay, that is his screen name uh, in our Discord server, asked um, 
or says, I'm kind of intrigued by what you think will happen with losing the best center in the league. We've talked about how much Corey Lindsley contributed to taking advantage of free play scenarios, and that made me think of other ways the Packers could be taking a hit at that position that I was unaware of. What other things does Corey Lindsley do, in other words, that we haven't really talked about? I'd really want to talk about what Corey Lindsley means to the Packers at this point, but I think that is a good point that um, some of those intangibles are going to be a big part of uh, what him not being a part of the Packers means to the Packers going forward. Because I think in general, institutional memory is a big deal. Experience is another word for that. Familiarity between one player and another. In general, I think you can make a center pretty well. You can take somebody who is a college guard or a college tackle and say, okay, you're a center now. Packers did it very successfully with J.C. Treader. You can make centers. And experience can be earned, but it takes time. It takes a little time to get some seasoning on an offensive lineman. To use a history term that I really like, um, a lot of historians, or especially the, the old line, like 19th, early 20th century type guys, talk about ancient armies full of inexperienced troops being unblooded. And I don't like the analogy of football as war, but I think, you know, in, in anything that, that involves physical competition between two players, there is an amount of being used to that level of physical contact. NFL football is an entirely different animal than college football. If you throw a quote-unquote unblooded center right in the middle of your offensive line, there may be some growing pains there, and there is going to be some loss of that institutional memory. And I think that is the real loss for Corey Lindsley. He is undeniably great. But I also think you are going to be able to replace 70 to 80% of what Corey Lindsley can do pretty easily. And don't forget, the injury bug continued to mount for Corey Lindsley over the past two to three years. So that means the real question is, how do you replace that extra 20, 25, 30%? How do you go from a guy who's just good or adequate to Corey Lindsley? I think as far as the Packers go, it's going to involve getting a guy and keeping him there. That's what makes me really sympathetic to the idea of drafting a center this year, even high. Say it was Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma there at the end of the first round. I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that if you thought you could get another eight or ten years out of him. I think you want to draft a guy you like and put him there just to play center. Currently, the Packers don't really have a guy who plays just center on the roster outside of Jake Hansen. You've got Hansen, a late-round pick last year, spent almost all of the season on practice squad or some form of injured reserve. He's the only one with extensive experience at center, playing just center. Elton Jenkins has moonlighted there and done it well. Lucas Patrick has done it as well, though not quite as well as Elton Jenkins. But I think you want a dedicated center, because that's at least one position on this offensive line that's going to be in some level of flux next year that you've got nailed down, and you can let somebody grow there and really learn the nuances of what it takes to be a great center. You can bring along those free play things, though that supernatural connection with Aaron Rodgers. You can do all the other little things, setting protections that El, uh, that Corey Lindsley was so good at. It's going to take some time, 
But the sooner you find a guy that you want to be a center long-term and let him just be the center long-term, the sooner you're going to be able to get there. Finally, what if the Packers wanted to trade up and get a super elite offensive line prospect? We got a question about this from Edward via YouTube. He says, so I wonder what the Packers would have to do to move up to number four or five in the draft so they can draft Panay Sewell. How about this? Green Bay's first and fourth round pick in 2021 and then their first in 2022. Trading up is not something I like. I think long-term listeners to the podcast will know that. Uh, generally opposed to paying two picks for one player. But say the Packers really like somebody. Say it was Sewell, who looks like a terrific prospect. Um, what if they really wanted to go up that high and get somebody. So just for the sake of argument, let's say they're shooting for the fifth overall pick. What would it take to get there? Cincinnati holds holds that currently. Let's bring out the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart again. According to old Jimmy's chart, the fifth overall pick is worth 1,700 points of draft capital. If the Packers were to trade their first round pick, 29th overall, one of their two fourth round picks this year, because they've got two, and then the 32nd overall pick next year, that would be worth about 1,265 points. Now, it's probably worth a little bit less than that, in fact, because generally they value next year's picks as being like mid-round picks in the next round. So a first-round pick for 2022, forgot what year it was for a second, would actually be valued more like a mid-round second-round pick. I don't know if I buy that, but let's just say for the sake of our example, it's the 32nd overall pick because the Packers take Panay Sewell, they go win the Super Bowl, and then next year is great. It doesn't matter. You know, give up your first round pick or whatever. So the Packers then are giving up a 1, a 4, and a 1, worth 1,265 points. That doesn't get us to 1,700. The Packers are going to have to sweeten the pot unless the Bengals are feeling especially generous. Maybe they're super jazzed about their new uniforms or whatever. So let's add another fourth-round pick. That gets you to 1,300 points. You're still about 400 short. All right, we've got to get really desperate here. What if the Packers throw in their second and third-round picks from this year? That gets you to 1,681 points. So the Packers are giving up their 2021 first, second, third, and two fourth-round picks, as well as a first-round pick in 2022. And they're still not quite there. But let's say the Bengals are generous, or the Bengals just look and say, hey, we can get five picks out of this. I think, honestly, at that point, the Bengals would almost be stupid not to accept. But this brings us to the the other point of this. Panay Sewell is not going to get the Packers over the hump. Even if you drafted him a tremendous tackle, you still have holes at center, corner, linebacker, and we still haven't addressed receiver. Now, maybe if you're Brian Gutekunst, you're really confident you can get all those uh, situations addressed in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round. I'm betting against it. Having more picks is always better than having fewer. And the Bengals have very little reason to give up the fifth overall pick, especially coming off a year when their potentially transcendent talent at quarterback had his rookie season ended early because they couldn't block for him. Why would they give up an opportunity to take an elite prospect at tackle, whether it's Sewell or somebody else, just to move that far back in the draft? That kind of thinking 
from the Packers' perspective, giving up a whole bunch of stuff to just get one guy is more or less how the Bears ended up with Mitchell Trubisky. The Athletic did a very, very good piece last year about how the Bears kind of run their draft operation. And based on that piece, it would seem like the Bears have a really bad habit of fixating on one guy. One guy who's going to fix everything for them. You just absolutely can't do that. And while I appreciate questions about trading up, it's something that has to be on the table, especially when you're talking about Brian Gutekunst because he's done it every year so far. Giving up too much almost always ends up biting you in the end. You can't fixate on one guy because when you do, you make bad decisions. That's what's so important about letting the board come to you. Take the value that's there. In the long run, as long as you're making good decisions when you take that value, properly evaluating these guys, that's how you're going to get ahead. You can't chase because when you chase, you end up making bad decisions. It's almost like the gambler's dilemma, gambler's fallacy. I'm due. I can outsmart this. I can outsmart just the raw numbers. Chances are you can't. And it's better to just let a different set of numbers work in favor, in your favor. Stack up as many draft picks as you can and just hope for the best from there. Those are some thoughts on the offensive line. What do you think? Where are you at about a week out from the draft? I'm getting excited. Um, it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I hope you are as well because uh, it's, a, it's an entirely unique event and it's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch it play out. In the meantime, I think that's all I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. If you think somebody else would enjoy this show, do me a big favor and share it with them. That's going to help more people find the program and get more people involved in this conversation we're having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.